Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Good morning and welcome to our service. We are very grateful for your presence. We're always thankful to have visitors with us. We invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking in our study this morning at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, where Solomon said, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or shame to any people. On July the 4th, I presented a, le uh, presented a lesson that had to do with our country and the state that it currently finds itself in. After that lesson, Brother George Jacobs asked me if I would consider presenting this material again. He then talked to the other elders, and so what I've done is taken the material that I presented a couple of weeks ago and basically gone back and just began again and went back and restudied and rethought that presentation and thus have come up with some material. Some of the material is the same, some very similar, but some of it is an expanded version of what I said a couple of weeks ago. But I want us to think for just a few moments in our study today about our country. And really what we want to do is analyze America. And before we do that, I want to encourage all of us to be praying for this nation because if our nation is to continue with the blessings that it currently enjoys, we're going to need God's providential hand uh, extended toward us for many, many years to come. I want us to begin by first of all having a word of prayer and then we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 14. So would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the many blessings and privileges that we enjoy in this life. We're thankful, Father, for the nation that we live in. We're grateful for the many blessings and the abundant provisions that you have so bountifully bestowed on each of us. We're grateful for our jobs, our homes, our clothes, our food, for everything that we hold near and dear to our hearts. We're grateful also for the freedoms that have been so graciously granted unto us. We ask that you would bless our lawmakers, bless our country, help us as a nation of people to recognize what is right, true, and good. Help us to see the need to follow your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have taken this lesson and basically come up with two very specific things that I want us to address in our study. And there, I guess, is a positive and a negative. From a positive standpoint, because I have so much information, I'm not going to try to deliver everything in one lesson. The negative is, if you want to know what is to follow, you have to come back tonight. But that's really not a negative. You need to be here anyway. The first thing I want us to do is to, to think about some of the facts that relate to our nation. And we're going to do that in just a moment. I want us to begin by just pointing out that since the birth of our nation, 
America has been richly blessed by the providential hand of Almighty God. We have been the recipients of freedom and abundant prosperity. For a nation that has been perceived as a global power, there are cracks in the walls that are cause for serious alarm. Let me read for you a statement that was penned by Wayne Jackson in an article entitled, America, a Nation Out of Control. Here's what he says. What makes America labor under the illusion that she is an eternal empire? This country is on a collision course with oblivion. It likely will not come in our day, but the indications are painfully obvious that serious decay is underway. Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Rome, None of these superpowers lasted more than a few centuries. Decadence consumed them. And there are clear signals that the same weaknesses are eating away at America's vitals. I said just a moment ago that we're going to be looking at some of the facts as they relate to our nation. And what we're going to do is note the problems. And there are what I believe to be four very specific problem areas that our nation currently faces. The first that I would address would have to do with education. Educationally speaking, we're going to be looking at, at it from a secular and a spiritual vantage point. Note with me, if you would, from a secular standpoint, because really the two dovetail together. By way of secular education, I would submit unto you that the theory of evolution has gained widespread acceptance and been propagated freely in our modern textbooks, and that is in our public schools. Our young people today, whether it be in grade school or in our colleges and universities, are being fed a consistent diet of evolution and humanism. They are being taught that we are the products of the evolutionary scale of life. Well, those of us that believe the Bible would counter that attack. And one of the real problems that our young people are facing today, as well as just the American public in general, is this. If mankind misunderstands his origin, he's going to view life in a very negative light. In other words, he's not going to, to understand the sanctity of human life. Now, Moses said in Genesis chapter 1 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. In chapter 2 at verse 7 of the book of Genesis, we find that God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. The Bible tells us in Psalm 33, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Hebrew writer tells us every house is built by some man. But he that built all things is God. And really the, really the theme is this. 
Design demands a designer. Now, there are educators in our school systems all across this country that are teaching our young people, they're teaching our children that we are the products of evolution, that our world is the product of some kind of cataclysmic explosion, chance, if you please. That is a bold lie. That's all it is. As a matter of fact, those of us that believe the Bible, I think we would agree and we would espouse the idea that it takes more faith to believe in the theory of evolution and it is nothing more than a theory than it does to believe in creation. Let me also point this out. That when you think about what our children are being taught, creationism versus evolutionism, this theory of evolution is being planted in the hearts of young people at a very early age. And then as they grow older in life, what are they doing? They are, they are simply passing on to their children what they have heard, what they have believed. We see it everywhere. All right, moving on. By way of secular education, our children, as they, as they go through this schooling process, are in many respects woefully inefficient in basic skills. Now, you might be asking, why do we bring this to the fore? Well, I think you're going to see in just a moment that there's a correlation in a student's aptitude to read and write and his or her ability to comprehend what God says in His Holy Word. In other words, to be able to sit down and read and study the Bible. Here's what some of the statistics are showing. There is a book that was penned some years ago by, the, by a man by the name Charles J. Sykes. His book is entitled, Dumbing Down Our Kids, Losing the Educational Race. I would encourage you to Google this particular book and note, if you would, what he concludes in terms of our educational schooling as it is in present-day America. Here's what he cites. Only one high school junior out of 50, that's 2%, can write well enough to meet national goals. That's alarming. A second statistic. 25% of high school seniors can barely read their diplomas. Now you just think about that. 25% of high school seniors can barely read their diploma. 80 million Americans are deficient in the basic reading and mathematical skills needed to perform rudimentary tasks in today's society. A third statistic. A study done in 1993 by the U.S. Department of Education concluded that 90 million adults 47% of the population in the U.S. manifested low levels of literacy. This statistic. The consequences are reflected in the fact that American businesses are now spending $30 billion on workers' training and losing an estimated $25 to $30 billion a year as a result of their workers' weak reading and writing skills. This past week in the Memphis Commercial Appeal, as a matter of fact, it, the article appeared in last Sunday's edition, July the 11th, 2010. A local company in town, Mineco.com, 
was said to need production workers. And here's what it said. They needed production workers that had non-negotiable basic skills so that they might be able to train them in, in printing, bindery, and other equipment. Here's what was said. Only one in five candidates passed the company's eighth grade level skills test. We wonder why many jobs are being outsourced to foreign countries. Sykes concluded in his study that our young people are being taught in the classroom far less than those in foreign countries. And then here's another statistic. Violence in schools is another trend that has made headlines in recent years. In 2000-2001, students were victims of about 1.9 million non-fatal violent crimes such as rape, assault, and robbery. These figures equate to 9,000 violent incidents every day throughout America. Listen to this, one every three seconds. Our school system today is a war zone. When we look at what our children are being taught, and we are very blessed in DeSoto County because we have a good educational system. That is not the case when you look at America as a whole. When you look at our young people today, they are woefully inefficient in basic, basic skills. Now, we ask the question, why bring all this up? If young people cannot read and write, how, pray God, will they ever come to understand His will? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said that he received revelation from Almighty God. He said he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words, whereby when you read, R-E-A-D, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul would say, Be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you can't read and write, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding what God's will is in your life. Now think about our young people today in our country. If they can't pick up this book and read and digest its contents, they don't have a prayer. And if they don't have a prayer, our country doesn't have a prayer. The two are interlinked. Now, what about from a spiritual vantage point? I would submit unto you that our country is waging a battle to remove the Bible from society, and right now it appears to be winning the war. That's a scary thing. Biblical illiteracy is rampant in and out of the church. One of the major contributing factors is that parents are not rearing their children in the Lord. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again because I believe it helps to make the point. When I was growing up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I went to a public school. I did not have the opportunity to go to a quote-unquote Christian school. I went to a public school. Every day, we began each school day by reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. We recited the model prayer based on Matthew chapter 6, if my memory serves me best. We memorized passages of Scripture from the Psalms. For example, Psalm 100. We had weekly Bible class 
That is in a public school. That is not in a Christian school. That is in a public school. I recited Psalm 100 in front of the entire student body. Can you imagine that being done today in our public schools? Not only that, when I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I received a copy of the New Testament including Psalms and Proverbs. Now, look at the problems we're having in our schools today. Look if you would, well, let's just go back and note 1.9 million non-fatal violent crimes occur, such as rape, assault, and robbery. One every three seconds in our schools today. All right, we've removed the Bible out of the classroom. Question, for better or for worse? It was in the classroom when I was growing up. We We didn't have a problem with rape. We didn't necessarily have a problem with assault. Now, some teachers assaulted some students. But guess what? They did that with a board. And let me tell you what. There's some young people today, they need their hides worn out. They need a mama and a daddy to take them to the woodshed and tear them up. And that's a real problem in our schools. We talk about we can't punish our children in schools. No wonder they act like a bunch of yard apes. If they don't realize there's any form of punishment coming, guess what? They're going to act out. They're going to do as they please. When I, was, when I was growing up in Chattanooga, let me tell you what. You stepped out of line, you got a paddling. And if that wasn't sufficient, they'd give you another one. And you sure didn't want to be put out in the hall for the principal to walk down the hallway and and see you. Because he would paddle you. Students today get nothing more than a slap on the wrist. Do you think they're scared of our educators? Absolutely not. Why? Because the tail is wagging the dog. Now go back and look. In the 60s and 70s, There was a biblical foundation even in our public schools. That biblical foundation has been removed and we are reaping the whirlwind. It's a fact. It is undeniable. Now, I would also say this. That as the home goes, so goes the nation. In our country, one of the real reasons that that our nation is out of control is because we as mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, have not done what we we have been instructed to do in the scriptures in terms of teaching, instructing, and admonishing our children in the Lord. We have not taken to heart what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. When he said, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If we want this nation to be what it ought to be, we as parents are going to have to spend time teaching and instructing our children in the paths of righteousness. If they do not learn right and wrong in the home, where will they learn it? If they do not learn to respect authority in the home, do you really think they're going to respect authority in the school system, on the job, toward the civil government, etc.? 
If they don't respect authority in the home, it's going to have far-reaching consequences. When is the last time, as a parent, you talk to your child about spiritual things, about God's Word? When is the last time you talk to your grandchild about spiritual things, about God's Word? We talk about our nation, educationally, educationally speaking. We are not only a nation filled with illiterates from a secular vantage point, point, but we are a nation filled with biblical illiterates. Now, having said that, let me call your attention to Hosea chapter 4. In Hosea chapter 4, here's what Hosea the prophet said in the long ago concerning the nation of Israel. He said, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge or has a controversy against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy, or knowledge of God in the land. Let me ask this question. How could that have ever happened? The children of Israel had been the recipients of God's holy law. They had been entrusted with the oracles of God, according to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The law was both vertical and horizontal in nature. It told them how they were to relate to God and how they were to relate to their fellow man. And yet here we have Hosea the prophet, and he is writing and saying, look, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Is it not the case that many, many families today are devoid of a lack? They are devoid of biblical knowledge? Bringing me to a second point. The moral foundation of our country. We've noted where our country stands educationally both secularly and spiritually. But what I want to do is show that there is a correlation between our educational knowledge in the Word of God and our moral fiber or lack thereof. So if you have Hosea chapter 4, note if you would what is said. Go back and read with me again in Hosea chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Now listen to him. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. What do you think Hosea is saying? Hosea is saying when people lay aside this book that we call the Bible, when they close this book, you better watch out. People are going to act immorally, ungodly. They're going to live a debased lifestyle. Listen again to what he says. You would think that you were reading the latest edition of the Commercial Appeal. By swearing and lying. Do we have problems with people lying today? You better believe it. Have we, had have we had problems even among our political leaders when it comes to lying? You better know it. And then listen to what he says. Killing and stealing. We live in a war zone. Look at the number of people who are convicted each and every day in the courts of our land because they have committed some heinous crime. They've killed someone. And then he talks about stealing and committing, committing adultery. 
when you separate yourself from the Word of God, problems are going to happen. Hosea said, Hosea said in the long ago, they've sown to the wind and they will reap the whirlwind. We are reaping the whirlwind of biblical illiteracy in our nation today. In the long ago, Moses instructed God's people to teach their children the law of Jehovah. They were, they were to do that diligently. Well, we haven't done that as a nation of people. And let me just cite for you some of the problems that we're facing in our country today. Immorality. Our country today is filled with rampant immorality. There are people today that are living open, promiscuous lives. They don't think anything about living with someone. They don't think anything about having a child out of wedlock. There was a national magazine I saw on the rack yesterday. And it looked like there was a young couple and they had a baby with them and they were advertising on the cover of this magazine that they were now thinking about getting married. That is a real problem in our nation today. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, that the younger women marry and then bear children. He didn't say bear children and then, and then get married. We've got people in our nation today, they're putting the cart before the horse. And we need to understand that it's not just something going on outside the church. We've got it in the church. As members of the body of Christ, we are to set an example. If we're living immoral, debased lives, the world is going to pick up on it. So we talk about immorality, adultery, divorce. Listen again to what Hosea said. They are committing adultery. We've got people in our world today, they don't think anything at all about breaking their marital vows. There is only one scriptural reason for putting a person away and then entering into another marriage contract, and that is adultery. The guilty party is not free to remarry. The innocent party is. But we have folks today that are committing adultery and they don't even think anything about it. They don't even blush. And then we talk about homosexuality. I cannot believe that our nation today is comprised of people who condone open homosexuality. Where in the world did we ever get the idea that two men or two women cohabitating together as quote-unquote husband and wife or husband and husband or whatever they're supposed to be, that that's right and acceptable in the eyes of God. When God created man, He said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. God made a woman for the man. He didn't make another man. He made a woman. When individuals engage in a homosexual lifestyle, what they are doing is repudiating the very will and wisdom of Almighty God. Now you can slice it any way you want to slice it, but that is the fact of the matter. And let me tell you what, I don't care if the president, the vice president, members of Congress or Senate or whomever, they can pass any kind of law they want. They can say that it's acceptable, that we, don't, that we ought not be homophobic or whatever. The fact of the matter is God, in His Word, condemns that lifestyle. 
And God's word does not change. Just because we don't want to be politically incorrect does not change or alter God's word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul said, Homosexuals and sodomites shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know how God could be any plainer than that. That's what we're up against. Abortion. Look at the abortions that are taking place in our country every day. Over a million abortions each year in our country. Since 1973, abortion has been carried out in this country, sanctioned by law. The hypocrisy of that is reflected in the fact that not many years ago, there was a man that killed his pregnant wife in the state of California. When he was convicted, he was convicted of two homicides, not one. Why is it that you can kill a baby in the womb while the mother is alive, but if you kill the mother and the baby dies, then you have a double homicide? That is hypocrisy. The Bible says that God hates the hands of them which shed innocent blood. And then we talk about crime. Look at Memphis. Look at, look at Olive Branch. We've got people that are stealing, that are carjacking. All of the, all of the crimes that are being committed across this land each and every day. And then let me just add this, drugs and alcohol. Drugs are big business. And as a result of that, guess what? A lot of folks in our land are hooked on alcohol and drugs. And our young people are being sold drugs on a daily basis. Young people, and I'm talking about 12 years of age and up, are being introduced to drugs, smoking cigarettes, etc. It is a scourge in our nation. Let me very quickly, I've only got a couple of minutes left, let me very quickly talk to you about our country from an economic standpoint. Did you know that our national debt is now over $13 trillion? $4 trillion is owed to foreign government. That is, foreign governments have a $4 trillion stake in our nation. Our national debt is climbing by approximately $3 billion every day. In 1995, our national debt was rising by about $650-something million a day. In 15 years, we've gone from about $659 million a day to over $3 billion a day. Let me tell you what. You can't keep spending what you don't have and survive. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if we're talking about an individual if we're talking about a corporation or if we're talking about a nation, it does not work that way. If the air is home, if the air is on in your home and the doors are open and the windows are open, how long are you going to leave the doors open and the windows open? Most of us, we'd close them, wouldn't we? Well, that's not the case in our country. Here's a, here's a startling statement. Every individual in this country is responsible for $41,000 and each home is responsible for a little over $100,000. We have a couple of infant babies in this assembly today. Those infant babies were born into this world owing $41,000. When's it going to end? 
These guys that are running this country need to wake up. Listen to me. They are going to run us in the ground. Do you hear what I'm saying? They're going to run us in the ground. Let me tell you how long it it would take to spend a trillion dollars. It would take a person spending $3,000 a day for one million years. And we owe $13 trillion. Please do not think that I'm that I'm being ugly or unkind. But we have got some moronic minds running our country. We've got some people that obviously lack some common sense. Let me just boil it down for you. They are ignorant. Ignorant. As as a buddy of mine says, they are grinding ignorant. Grinding. We talk about the state of our nation. God put this nation on the map. And I assure you, God can take this nation off this map. The Bible says, The Most High rules in the kingdoms of men, and He gives it to whomsoever He will. God has not assured us that we'll be here tomorrow. We're going to talk more about that tonight. I've got one other point that I want to share with you very quickly. I know I said that a moment ago. But from a judicial standpoint, our judicial system is in shambles. Our lax judicial system has created a wave of crime and overpopulated prisons. Listen to this. More than one in 100 adults in the U.S. is in jail or prison. An all-time high that is costing the state government nearly $50 billion a year and the federal government $5 billion more. It costs taxpayers $21,108 per day to house prisoners. And I would remind you they're eating three meals a day, they're sitting in air conditioning in the summertime, heating in the wintertime, and they're getting adequate health care. Why is it that hardworking, tax-paying citizens can't afford health care, but we give that to our prisoners? Now, I'm not saying that we ought to abuse them. There's a gentleman out in the state of Arizona that has what's called a chain gang. Let me tell you what. The reason these guys aren't afraid of the law is because our judges, whether it be a local, a state, a federal judge, whatever the case may be, it's because these guys are doing nothing more than slapping the wrist of these offenders. They're not afraid of the law. Read Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible says that we're not to bear the sword in vain. When individuals commit heinous crimes, they ought to be punished according to the crime that was committed. And what they've done ought to be upheld in the court of law. They ought to be out on the chain gang. They ought to be working for their food. They ought not be sitting up watching cable TV. 12 hours a day. Our country is in sad shape. I want us to talk about the future of our nation tonight. The reason I bring these points up is because when you look at our judicial system as a whole, our jails are overcrowded. We can't build jails fast enough to house those who who have committed crimes in our country. 
Listen to this. There are more than 2.3 million people behind bars. The United States leads the world in both the number and percentage of those in prison or in jail. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again. A friend of mine who was a missionary, who was a missionary, I think flew into Singapore. Here's what they said when they touched down in Singapore. They said, welcome to Singapore. Possession of drugs is punishable by death. Have a good day. Did you misunderstand that? I didn't misunderstand that. In our country today, we've got drug abuse, we've got alcohol abuse, we've got crime, we've got murder, we've got all these things going on, and our court systems, our political leaders, are not doing their jobs. And they are driving a nail in our coffin. We better wake up. I close with this. George Washington had this to say, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, to humbly implore His protection and favor. George Washington, as you know, was our first president. Here's our second president, John Adams. He said this, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a paradise this, this region would be. Did you hear what he said, the second president of the, of the U.S.? He said, if we'll take the Word of God, implement it into our lives, this place would be a paradise. Why is it America has become a scourge? Why is it our nation has become Literally, a hell on earth, it's because we have removed the Word of God from our lives. We're paying a heavy price. I don't know about you, but I think we need to make some changes. I know I've gone over today. It wasn't intentional, but as I said earlier, I had a lot of information I wanted to get out before you because I think it's important for us to understand where we're headed. Tonight we talk about our future. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you realize that a better way of life is to live a Christian life. That's what Jesus would have you to understand. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10, verse 10. If you're here today and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you would be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name before others, be immersed with Him in water. The Bible says that God will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful to his cause. Could we encourage you to come home? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come now as we stand and sing.